Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. I'm Asma Khalid. I cover the presidential campaign, though, of course, the uh, campaign is now officially over. And I'm Mara Eliasson, national political correspondent. And it is 9.35 p.m. on Saturday, November 7th. And President-elect Joe Biden just wrapped his victory speech tonight in Wilmington, Delaware. The people of this nation have spoken. They've delivered us a clear victory, a convincing victory, a victory for we the people. We've won with the most votes ever cast from presidential ticket in the history of the nation, 74 million. Asma, you're there in Wilmington. What was it like tonight? That's right, Sue. Well, I was at the victory celebration tonight. It was a drive-in car rally. And I will say, you know, some of the folks in the crowd uh, actually told me that they had come out on Tuesday night. Uh, They were anticipating some sort of victory celebration that night. Of course, we all know that didn't happen, but they had come back out to celebrate. And, And what I will say is in some ways, this was like a normal party, but in many ways, it was very different. You know, people were hanging out in their cars uh, on the roof, waving, say, Joe Biden flags or big, giant American flags and glow sticks. But also many of them were actually in their cars rather than hanging out, you know, in a crowd close together. And and many were wearing masks, just a sign of the current climate that we're all in with the pandemic. Mara, what do you take away from this speech? Well, what stood out to me was first the introduction by Kamala Harris, starting right off with Congressman John Lewis, uh, Joe Biden acknowledging his debt to black voters, but also him reaching out right away to people who didn't vote for him. For all those of you who voted for President Trump, I understand the disappointment tonight. I've lost a couple times myself, but now let's give each other a chance. It's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again. And to make progress, we have to stop treating our opponents as our enemies. They are not our enemies. They are Americans. They are Americans. That's Joe Biden's message. He said he's going to be the president for people who did vote for him and didn't vote for him. And then the other thing was just how specific he was about what he thinks his mandate is. Mandates are very ephemeral. They're kind of in the eye of the beholder or the (laughs) eye of the candidate. But he gave the list. Control the virus, build prosperity, secure health care, racial justice, get the climate under control. And then he said, restore decency, defend democracy and give everyone a fair shot. And that's pretty much it. I thought it was important and notable how he made a point to single out the black community for his victory. And at one point, you know, acknowledging that at all the low points in his campaign, it was black voters that sustained it. I made it, especially those moments. And especially for those moments when this campaign was at its lowest ebb, the African-American community stood up again for me. You've always had my back, and I'll have yours. And essentially saying, I'm not going to forget you now that I'm president. They helped him win the general election, especially in states like Michigan. And he, you know, elevated the first black woman to the ticket as part of that thank you. And I think it's a it speaks to how important that group of voters was to Joe Biden, that he felt the need to sort of acknowledge it again tonight. So what stood out to me to echo Mara there is what Joe Biden was speaking about in terms of unity and this being a moment for the country to heal. The Bible tells us to everything there is a season 
a time to build, a time to reap, and a time to sow, and a time to heal. This is the time to heal in America. He spoke about wanting to be the president of the United States of America, not red states and blue states. And and look, this is not particularly like novel language coming from Joe Biden. He launched his candidacy talking about the fact that he wanted to restore the soul of this country. He ran throughout the primaries on this vision of bipartisanship and unity. But I think it struck differently given the results that we've seen from this election cycle and the fact that he specifically spoke to Trump supporters and, and talked about this idea of, you know, giving each other a chance, and the fact that there is this need to cooperate. Now, whether or not folks buy into that message, uh, we will see. But I think there was clearly an attempt to provide some message of unity tonight. I mean, it was upbeat in tone. It was very forward-looking. I think that's true for Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. She also spoke tonight. She opened for Joe Biden. Um, I also feel like we have to note her fashion choices. Uh, She came out and head-to-toe white is something we've seen a lot from Democratic women in recent years. I think Suffragette white. (laughs) Suffragette white, exactly. Hillary Clinton wore all white, I believe, at her convention speech in 2016. Democratic women in the House do it all the time. Sort of a clear fashion nod to the historic nature of her own candidacy. And she spoke about the significance of that representation. But while I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last. Because every little girl watching tonight sees that this is a country of possibilities. She spoke, you know, not just about gender identity, but also just what it means to be a black woman, to be a woman of South Asian descent in this position. And, and you know, it's something that I think, given maybe just the sort of longevity of the election results this week, it, you know, might not get the first top storyline, but it is, it's definitely a, a clear significant moment. It's a moment that's never occurred in the country before. Is it fair to say that vice presidents tend to take more of a backseat role, but Biden seems to be positioning Kamala Harris to be more of a co-pilot that, you know, he's kind of talked about wanting to advance the next generation of Democratic leaders. She's going to be seen as someone who looks like they want to run for president. And she's already getting a lot of scrutiny from Republicans who say that, you know, she's going to be this big figure in the administration. And that seems really unusual for a vice presidential candidate. It is. And there's a lot of peril in it for her because even though he hasn't said this, he Joe Biden is, I would say, universally expected not to run for a second term because of his age. And uh, he's also, as you said, said he wants to be a transition to the next generation of Democrats. Of course, the vice president is is always seen as a potential presidential candidate. But uh, if she does run for president, it's going to happen in four years, not eight, as it would normally have. And I think that there's going to be a lot of pressure on her. I think Republicans are going to try to paint her as the shadow president, the real president. Um, And that's going to be hard because what she needs is four years of seasoning and on-the-job training. And tonight, she said she wants to be the kind of vice president that uh, Joe Biden was for Barack Obama. Loyal, honest, and prepared. Okay, well, let's take a quick break and more on tonight when we get back. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as isolation, depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment when you need professional help. Get help at your own time and your own pace. 
Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com slash UpFirst to learn more and get 10% off your first month. This message comes from NPR sponsor Wiseant, a one-to-one tutoring alternative to online classes where you can learn face-to-face online. Get help with tackling new subjects and career skills or just catching up. Wiseant lists thousands of personal instructors in over 300 subjects available for live, individualized lessons with their online learning platform. Head to wyzant.com to find your perfect instructor. Love it or your first hour is free. Because at Wiseant, we take learning personally. On the next episode of Louder Than a Riot, Bobby Shmurda's transition from the streets to superstardom and how viral fame led to infamy. I don't ask people from the hood if they got criminal activity going on. I know in hip-hop, the better, the better. Listen now to Louder Than a Riot from NPR Music. And we're back. And Mara, I gotta say tonight, it was like you could feel the political barometric pressure shift in the universe because it felt like the first time in 2020, it just wasn't all about Donald Trump anymore. Oh, that there's no doubt about that. That was to me, the biggest takeaway. All of a sudden, you know, we have lived in a Trump-centric universe for four years because that's his metric for success. And that was the goal that he had every day when he woke up, which was to control the media narrative. Everything was about him. And all of a sudden, it wasn't about him. It doesn't matter to Joe Biden whether he concedes or not. It doesn't matter to Joe Biden whether he brings two lawsuits or 20 lawsuits. Um, Joe Biden is going forward with the work of uh, setting up his administration. I thought he was very down to business tonight. He talked about that on Monday he's going to name a group of leading scientists and experts to be his COVID advisors to kind of hit the ground running on January 20th. And um, it just felt like a new chapter was starting, even though the Trump campaign says the election isn't over, they're still going to contest it wherever they can. It just felt like this was a new day, and it's the first day that's been a non-Trump day since 2016. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that the clearest sign of the fact that regardless of whether or not Donald Trump and his team intends to cooperate on a transition with Joe Biden and his folks was just the fact that we got a sense from from Biden tonight that, you know, he does intend to move forward in terms of addressing COVID. He said that, you know, as you mentioned, Mara, that he's planning on naming this group of scientists to his COVID task force on Monday. And, And this is something that he has signified throughout the campaign. He was intending to begin Begin to tackle during this transition period because it's really not something they can wait to address until Inauguration Day. And, you know, there's been so much talk about how hard it might be for Biden to legislate, especially if Republicans maintain control of the Senate. We won't know that for a while. But one thing that he can do on his own is deal with the pandemic. And I think that I've been told by Democrats that every day he's going to get a chance to show empathy and competence. And so every day he will show that he is not Donald Trump as he deals with the pandemic. And just by the very nature of winning, of becoming the president-elect, he's going to do the thing that Donald Trump has done for the past four years. He's going to drive a lot more news cycles. You know, everything's going to be about the transition, uh, his plan for the pandemic, who he's going to appoint to his cabinet. All of that stuff that consumes all of the political oxygen is going to shift away from Donald Trump. And that seems like a really dramatic change in our political lives. 
But Sue, do you think that that will happen immediately and and really entirely? Because yes. Donald Trump is somebody who doesn't really like giving up attention. I mean, he craves He's not the spotlight, fade, no. <laughs> and he hasn't officially conceded yet. I mean, I don't doubt that he's going to keep tweeting and he's going to keep talking, but he's sharing a spotlight now in a way that he wasn't before. And I think that the country has a lot of interest in what the next president is going to be saying and doing. And it's just not going to be all about Donald Trump unless he somehow is able to get some some real traction, real legal traction in these challenges and not just sort of continuing to make unsubstantiated claims. But there are some 70 plus million people in the country who voted for Donald Trump. And at this point in time, he is still trying to sort of rally the troops, fundraise for his uh, legal election defense fund still. And I don't anticipate he is somebody who is going to just stop tweeting come Monday. Absolutely not. And I don't want to give the impression that Donald Trump won't continue to be a major, major factor in American politics. He's the most important person in the Republican Party, and I think he will be for the rest of his life. Um, But, you know, what's interesting about this. This was a close election, except Joe Biden got is heading, it seems like, to get maybe 5 million more votes than Donald Trump. And what we didn't do in 2016 was spend a whole lot of time talking to Hillary voters. The media immediately rushed out to diners and Midwestern bars to talk to Trump supporters. Um, So the question is, how much Uh, Will Joe Biden continue to reach out to Trump supporters? He mentioned them quite prominently tonight, and I thought that was significant. And I've actually been told by Democrats that they think the best thing for him to do to drive this message of unity is to go sit down with Trump supporters in their homes, you know, and talk about the policies that he wants to enact and, and, you know, have really demonstrate what he means when he says, I want to be the president for people who didn't vote for me. All right. I think we're going to leave it there for tonight, but we'll be back in your feed soon. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. I'm Asma Khalid. I cover Joe Biden. And I'm Mara Liason, national political correspondent. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. Podcast.